Amen. Well, you see a uh, picture of my family there. We're talking about snapshots of Christmas right now. We're not talking about Christmas at the Hahn household, but just the idea of snapshots. Last week, we looked at a snapshot of Christmas from Matthew, and today we're going to look at one from Luke. We're looking at these pictures uh, to remember and to appreciate. You remember I said last week, when we come to this time of year, when we come to these passages, it's easy for us to look at these and say, oh, I've read these, I I know these, but that's okay. Let's look at them anyway. Let's remember and appreciate how much we are loved. Now, I want (coughs) to, excuse me, start today with a picture not having really anything to do with Christmas, but certainly one of history's most famous pictures, most well-known pictures. As a matter of fact, a a picture that falls under the category of a treasure. You know her as the Mona Lisa. Now, would you believe that with as well-known as this painting, painting is, as valuable as this painting is, that more people went to see her when she wasn't there than when she was? kind of got to think about that one for a moment, don't you? What what does that mean? The Mona Lisa was stolen from the Louvre in 1911. And over the next two years, more people went to see the blank space on the wall where she hung than had gone to see her the prior 12 years. Imagine that. Man, what a picture. You talk about, you know, you hear people say, we take for granted things that are important to us in life. That's all that is right there. That's a perfect example of taking something for granted. And then when it's gone, then the blank space becomes glaring in our lives. Helen Keller uh, said, it's kind of an interesting thought, said, I think that it would be good for all of humanity if for a couple of days they were stricken deaf and blind because then they would appreciate uh, light instead of darkness and would know the joy of sounds instead of silence. We take things for granted, even things that are very important to us, even things that we might put under the category of a treasure. I want you to think about a question. What would be missing in your life? What would it be like for you if Jesus was stolen out of Christmas? Now, I'm not talking about uh, the secularization of Christmas. I'm not talking about what we see going on in the culture today. That's not what I mean by that question. I'm not talking about how easy it is for all of us, even believers here in church tonight, how easy it is for us to get caught up in the glitz and the gifts of Christmas and miss the grace and the glory of Christ. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about Jesus actually being stolen. Jesus being taken out of Christmas. There is no Christ of Christmas. What would be the blank space in our lives? What would be missing? You know, as we try to imagine that, I'm not sure we can. I'm not sure we can really get a grasp of what we would have lost. But I want us to try to understand about this treasure. And I want us to try to look into our own lives tonight and see if maybe we're taking that for granted. Or how we make sure we're careful not to take that for granted. And I think we can do that with the snapshots of Christmas that Luke gives us. Would you turn with me tonight to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, as always, I tell everybody there's one there in the pew. I hope you'll grab one of those and open it up and study along with us. Luke chapter 2. And I'm going to begin in verse 10. Luke chapter 2. 
verse 10. It says, But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, a Savior, who is Messiah the Lord, was born for you in the city of David. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in cloth and lying in a feeding trough. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to people he favors. Gosh, what a scene that would be to take in and understand what that night was like. The angels are the first ones to make these announcements to us. And as you can see, and as I hope you can see in their words and hear in their voices, man, they're excited. There's joy. They have joy. And they're excited about the potential joy for you and me. Man, a gift is coming. A gift is coming into your life and into my life. A gift is coming to humanity and the world. And it's the gift of salvation. We've talked about this so much here in the last several weeks. That idea of being rescued. We're, being, we're drowning, folks. We're, we're drowning in sin. We're, we're drowning in spiritual deadness. We are drowning in our future wrath and judgment of God. We're drowning in all of this. And salvation's coming. A gift where we're going to get rescued out of that. We can't do anything to rescue ourselves. But a gift is coming. And that's what our opportunity is. And that gift, would you believe, is in a baby. That's what the angels say. A baby. You're going to find them wrapped up tight in a sleep in a feeding trough. Now, it's not just any baby. It's not even just a special baby. No, the angels describe this baby with three words. He's one. He's a savior. Now, that savior, that goes with that word salvation. Savior for you and I is equivalent to the word lifeguard. This is somebody who rescues us from distress and from peril. You know what? I think even when we come to our greatest point of need, we understand our sin, we understand how lost we are alone, and we reach out to Christ, I'm not sure even then we really understand our distress. I'm not sure even then we really understand our perilous situation. And that's why I'd say I'm not really sure we can imagine what it'd be like if Christ was stolen out of Christmas. I don't think we ever get fully a grasp on how our entire well-being is tied to that baby, tied to Jesus Christ. But that's our Savior. He rescues us out of that distress. You see there, He's also called the Messiah. As a matter of fact, there are several words that are just synonymous. Messiah is the Hebrew word. Christ is the Greek word. It just means the anointed one, the chosen one. This baby that they're talking about, this is the one that's been appointed, that's been chosen. He has the authority. He has the rule. He has the right to move into your life, to move into a nation, to move into this planet and set things in order, to make things right, to make things what they're supposed to be. That's what this baby is going to be able to do. And he is the Lord. He is Yahweh. And that's what really sets him apart because he's God. He's actually God, the very Son of God. Man, the gift of Christmas is God coming to earth and bringing us an eternal, personal relationship. A relationship in which brings our salvation. Now, you open up this box, you open up this gift, and there's our salvation. And we find out this gift is accessorized. This gift comes with, with more gifts. 
Because you see, when you open up this gift of salvation, you get a, a host of wonderful things. You get peace. Peace. You ever thought about that? The angels say here, peace on earth. You get all kinds of Christmas cards that say peace on earth. Man, there's not peace on earth, is there? There's not peace between nations. There's not peace between corporations. There's not peace in families. There's not peace between people. This isn't talking about between men, between nations. This is talking about between man and God. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 it says, therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have what? Peace. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what? You got any relationships in your life right now that just aren't quite what they should be? You know, when things are not right, I mean, it can be with a neighbor, a co-worker, a boss. It can be with a mate, a child, a parent. When, when you're at odds with somebody, when a relationship's not quite right, man, there's tension, isn't there? There's, in some cases, there's stress. I mean, there's the exact opposite of peace. We're, we're upset, we're mad, we're worried, we're fearful when a relationship is not right. And man, Jesus has secured for you and I peace in the most significant relationship of all. He has secured for you and I peace in the relationship that most impacts not only this life, but all of eternity. I, I am at peace with that God. Everything is okay between God and I, and that is secured for all eternity. That's a gift. And this gift of salvation doesn't stop with just peace. It also brings forgiveness. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Think about that. Think about what's in your life. You're not going to be condemned for that. If you are in Christ Jesus, if, you've, if you have trusted in Him as your Savior, as your Lord, there's no condemnation in your life. Well, you know, I mean, think about we worry about, man, if somebody finds that out about me, if somebody tells on me, if somebody discovers this about me. Well, let me tell you something. God already knows. He's already heard. He's already discovered. He knows everything about you, past, present, and future, and what this baby is going to do for you, or in our case, past tense, what this baby did for us at the cross has covered it. There's no condemnation. You will not be condemned by God. That's what this baby won for you. If we keep opening this gift, there's not only a security in the relationship, man, there's a security in our future. There's a security in our home. Jesus said in John 14, 3, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will return. I'll come back again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may also be. Our future is secure. We've got a home that's secure by Jesus, not by anything we did, Jesus secured that for us. And you know what else we have? I mean, the gifts just keep coming. You have somebody in heaven that talks on your behalf. You ever thought, man, I could sure get a little bit further ahead if somebody was in my corner, if somebody would go talk to them for me? Romans chapter 8, verse 34 says, Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. And He's at the right hand of God. And look at that last phrase. And He intercedes for us. Jesus stands at the right hand of God. And, and listen to me. He talks about you. Not, not humanity. You. You as a person. You, your name. Your face. Jesus talks to God the Father about you. He talks on your behalf and your well-being. And I'm going to stop there, folks, but this is a big, a big box. And the gifts just keep coming right out with this salvation. This is a treasure. 
This is the most awesome thing in life. You know, you, you start to picture some of these things and you think, gosh, what would it be like? I'm trying to imagine Christ being stolen out of Christmas. Man, what would it be like if I stopped and considered, man, I, I don't have peace about my future. I don't have peace about when I die, about what happens. And I, I don't know that there's any opportunity, any way to get that peace. I've got things in my life that can condemn me. And I, I, I can't get rid of those. I can't erase those. We start thinking about what would it be like if there was no Christ? Man, this, this is the treasure of our lives. But I just think, like the Mona Lisa, and like hearing, and like sight, and like breathing, we can take it for advantage. We can have this treasure sitting right there in our house, and we can walk right by it each day and not, not really give it much of a thought. And we don't want to do that, not, not with this kind of gift. So, so how do we make sure we're not taking this for granted? How do we make sure that we're appreciating, enjoying this gift like we should? Well, I think as we go back to our Christmas story, Luke, here again, takes several snapshots of people all around this story. And in these snapshots, we get a, a look at how we're to respond. Remember, folks, as we read these next several passages, this isn't just a guy recording what some shepherds did. This isn't a guy just recording that when they went to the temple, temple, here's how a couple of people responded. This is who God told Luke to write about. And he said, this is the word you're supposed to say. This is what you're supposed to record. In other words, folks, God wants us interacting with these responses. He's spotlighting these responses for us to give you and I a clue 2,000 years later at how we should be responding to this gift. And in this story here of Luke chapter 2, we see a handful, a variety of different responses to this gift. Let's see if we can learn for our own life how we should be responding. Let's start with the, the shepherds. Look at verse 15. It says, When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby was lying in the feeding trough. And then skip down to verse 20. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard, just as they had been told. Now jump ahead to verse 36. Flip ahead to verse 36. We're going to look at a lady here named Anna along with the shepherds. Verse 36 says, There was also a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and was a widow for 84 years. Now, 84 and 7, that's 91. In this culture, more than likely, she got married about 14, give or take a year or two. So Anna's 105 years old. I, she's holding together pretty well. She's standing there, okay? She did not leave the temple complex serving God night and day with fastings and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began to thank God and to speak about Him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Now, what do we see in this snapshot? What, what, what do we see in how they responded? I want you to notice a couple of phrases that show up in both of these. Look back at, at verse uh, 15. When, the, when, they're start, when they start to talk. Look at this phrase. Let's go straight to Bethlehem. Look at verse 16. They hurried off. Then flip back to verse 38. 
at that very moment. Do you see something constantly showing up here? There is an immediacy in their response to Christ. There's an urgency in their response to Christ. I, I, I like to refer to this here as a Jesus first attitude. They didn't talk about it. They didn't even pray about it. They didn't check their schedules. They didn't see if somebody else could watch the sheep. They didn't see what else was going on at the temple that day. When they became aware of who he was, what he was, there was an immediacy about their response. They had a Jesus first attitude. Folks, if this is really the gift of our life, there needs to be a Jesus first attitude. He's first. When we wake up in the morning, it's Jesus first. When I'm walking into a decision, it's Jesus first. When I'm walking into a relationship, it's Jesus first. I'm thinking of Jesus first in anything I'm doing, in everywhere I'm going, in everywhere I'm relating. It's Jesus first. You say, gosh, can you really do that? If it's the most prized possession of your life, you can. If, if your whole life is consumed by this, is wrapped up by this, if it's all you have and are, yes, you can. It's a Jesus first attitude. And then I noticed something else here in both the shepherds and Anna. Gratitude. There's a gratitude attitude with both of these. You know, they, they, they left what they were doing. There was that immediacy. There was that Jesus first attitude. And then they get out there and they go, well, look at this. It's a barn with a feeding trough and a baby in it. Bless his heart. Why don't somebody get the kid a blanket and take him inside? I mean, that, that wouldn't be a scene you would think would be all that impressive. It'd be a scene that make you feel sorry for them. I mean, like, can, we, can somebody get this kid inside? Man, they left praising and glorifying God. You know, I, I wish I could see what they saw. I'm guessing there was something there that was more than just a baby. They saw it. And they left glorifying and praising God. Anna saw it and immediately began to give thanks to God. You know what? We know what they're feeling. You've had that Christmas, that birthday, where you just got the gift to end all gifts. You know, somebody surprised you with the, the, a gift way beyond what you would imagine. Or maybe it was something you really, really, really wanted, and, 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 and they got it for you. And man, you're, you're excited, you know, you're walking about six inches off the ground, and every time you see that giver, man, you, you can't help but just kind of fawn over them. You can't help but, man, thank you, thank you, thank you. And you're, you just feel a sense of love and gratitude and praise to them because they've given you this most wonderful gift. Well, that's right where they are. They've just seen the gift to end all gifts. They just saw in that baby the gift that is all their life. And they leave praising God. They leave giving thanks. So I see Luke's snapshot here. And I see there's a Jesus first attitude. And there's a gratitude attitude. Let's move on. Look at a second snapshot. Simeon. Look at Simeon. Verse 25. Still Luke chapter 2, verse 25. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation. And the Holy Spirit was on him. Hey, folks, you realize that, that that's a kind of a unique statement. Because the Holy Spirit, you and I, as believers, the Holy Spirit is on us and in us and we get filled with it. We studied that in Ephesians. But in the Old Testament, that was not the case. The, the, the entire Jewish nation did not have the Holy Spirit. So there's something very unique and special about Simeon just in that statement. Verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Man, can you imagine what that's like? 
God has come to him. Folks, if you're a Jew, you've been waiting for the Messiah for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. This is the deliverance of you, your family, the nation. This is, this is the well-being of Israel is at stake. We've been waiting for that Messiah, looking for that Messiah. And the Holy Spirit says, you're not going to die before you see him. Now, it doesn't say here, he's coming tomorrow. Or, or he'll be here in three months. Or he'll be, I don't may have been, this may... Scripture tells us that promise may have come 25 years earlier. Well, we really don't have any idea how long Simeon had to wait. But he had that promise. You're not going to die until you see him. I wonder how that changed his life. You know, think about us. Now, we should live like this, but we don't. What if the Holy Spirit told you tonight, you will not die before you see the second coming of the Lord? Very equivalent to what Simeon was told. I'm not, the Holy Spirit might say, I'm not telling you whether it's tomorrow. I'm not telling you if it's 25 years from now. But you will not die before you see the second coming of the Lord. Man, how would that... I, I, I don't know how you ever stop anticipating. Of course, the truth is, folks, the New Testament has told us that. and said you won't die, but it says you're to live like that possibility. But that's what Simeon's living with. He knows, man. I mean, how does he not look at every baby, every boy, at everywhere he's looking in the temple? Is that him? Is that him? Is that him? Let's read on. Verse 27. Guided by the Holy Spirit, he entered the temple complex when the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law. Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God. And the Holy Spirit said, can you imagine that moment? I don't know what he's doing in the temple there that day. He stands there and he's, he's looking around. And can you imagine the Holy Spirit of God saying in his ear, that's him. He walks over, picks him up, and immediately just begins praising God. Look at verse 29. Now, Master, you can dismiss your slave in peace. You know what's really wonderful about walking with God? And I'm not talking about being on a church roll or, or having made a decision. Somewhere. I'm talking about when you really walk with God. That's no big deal. It's a good thing. I mean, to be able to say, man, Lord, I've seen it now. I, you know what? You can take me home whenever you want. You can dismiss me. And, you know, we think so much. This life, this life. Happiness is in this life. God, give me more in this life. Simeon says, I've seen Jesus. I can go home now. <laughs> you can kill me right now. According to your word, verse 30, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples. Then look at verse 32, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. Now that last phrase, glory to your people Israel, that's expected. It, folks, Jews are very focused on the Jewish Messiah. I'm not talking about being, them being prejudiced or bigoted, but that was their mindset. The Messiah was for Israel and for the glory of Israel and for the rise of Israel and for the well-being of Israel. But I'm telling you, in this day and age, Simeon's really throwing a curveball when he says, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles. He knows, and of course it's very clear, he's very close to the Holy Spirit. And I'm sure the Holy Spirit told him, this baby is for anybody and everybody. Because anybody and everybody can come to know Yahweh through this child, through this baby. What a gift. But now look at this. Okay, we've, we've, we've had all this in, in Luke chapter 2. It's joy and it's salvation and it's excitement and it's goodness and all these benefits in our lives. But look at verse 34. All of a sudden we get a little bit of a, a twist. The message gets a little bit harsh. 
Verse 34, Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the rise and fall, the fall and rise of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed, and a sword will pierce your own soul, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Man, all of a sudden we're not talking about candy canes and and warm holiday memories. This is, this is pretty tough. You know what we see here in this snapshot? We see that Jesus is going to be a point of decision. Lives will rise up on Jesus and lives will fall down on Jesus. Hearts, hearts will be revealed. Who people really are, what they really are, will all be determined at the feet of Jesus. Jesus is a point of decision. He is the fork in the road. We're going to come to a place where we will go God's way through Jesus or we'll continue to go our own way, whether it be our own sin, our own religion, our own way of getting to God. Of course, that road leads to one place, death and destruction, the wrath and the judgment of God. Or we go Jesus' way. But folks, make no mistake, Jesus is the point of decision. Now, you know, in a sense, you and I understand that. Well, we're talking about salvation, right? There's that place, there's that point where I decide what I'm going to do with Jesus. Who He's going to be in my life. But you know what? I think we need to take it off this big, grandiose thing where we, you know, we go from being lost to being saved. This is a daily thing. Jesus is a point of decision in your life every day. See, this is where we go running right by that treasure. We head back out. We get consumed by garbage, by things that don't have near the worth of our Savior because we're not letting Him be that point of decision. You see, every day is a day I'm saying, I'm going to go God's way, which is through Jesus, or I'm going to go the way of the world. I mean, just because we're believers doesn't mean we stop getting confronted with this fork. We're confronted with this fork in the road all day, every day. Jesus is the point of decision. If I'm respecting Him and honoring Him as the treasure He is, He's the point of decision in my life every day. Let's look at one last set of people here. Gosh, how can we look at responses without looking at mom and dad? Look at verse 19. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. Verse 33. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Now, do these verses really tell us anything? I mean, serious, what mom and dad isn't treasuring a brand new baby? (laughs) What mom and dad isn't in awe of the miracle of life and this little baby just come through us and it's ours and it's wonderful? I mean, this really does just like this recording normal kind of stuff here. Maybe it is. Here again, I think God said, I want the word treasure in there. And I want the word odd. They were in odd. Mary was treasuring in her heart. Now remember, Mary's the first one to know. We didn't read that passage tonight, but that angel Gabriel comes to her and and I you know, there's there's I'm sure after the visit of that angel, I can't imagine Mary doesn't go back to the scriptures and, and want to understand more about the Messiah and then now she's watching, you know, angels and shepherds and Anna and Simeon and, and she's watching and she's learning about who this son is. And and I think, you know, I mean when you get a baby, that's my baby. I think she knew this is not my baby. This child came through my body, but this is not my baby. This is something so much bigger than me. 
And, and she's learning about Him and she's treasuring and meditating. Now, folks, there's that point that, that Jesus comes into our body. That He comes into our heart. There's that, that big point, like that our meeting with Gabriel. But do we continue to go on out through life? Treasuring and meditating, learning about Him, watching Him, and growing more and more in love with Him? Do, do, do we work at being awed by Him by going by going to the Scriptures, by going to worship, by, by looking for His work in the world, are we awed by Him? You know, I'm kind of back to that same question now. What would it be like if Jesus were stolen out of our lives? Would life go on as normal? Or would our lives be radically changed? Radically different? What would it look like? How, how do we think through this? Well, folks, if Jesus really is the treasure and we are we are utterly awed by him, there is no second place. It's not he's first place in our lives. There there is no place after him. This is this is the gift. This is the treasure of all treasures. Well, then he's he's the hub. He's the center of my life. Jesus defines and directs my finances. Jesus defines and directs my relationships. Jesus defines and directs my personality. Jesus defines and directs my priorities. Jesus defines and directs my decisions. I mean, mean, there's, there's nowhere I go in life. There's not a single moment. There's not a single place I go. And Jesus is not the center of that. Anchoring that. Leading that. And directing that. Well, if all of a sudden He's stolen out of that... What's left of my life? Nothing. Now I'm just like everybody else. Now what's everybody else like? Well, I mean, there's billions of people. Some are, some are rich and some are poor. Some are healthy, some are unhealthy. Some are pretty happy with how things are going. Some are pretty unhappy with how things are going. Some are filled with many wonderful lives all around them. Some are very, very lonely. Billions of people fall into these categories, but they're all moving to the exactly the same place. A life of utter meaningless that will count for nothing and that will be nothing. Because Jesus was not the center. He wasn't the hub. He wasn't their treasure. I don't want to be in that group. Again, how do we start trying to imagine what is life like without there ever being this gift? What is my life like? And, and here's the sad thing, folks. If you can pull Jesus out of a day and that day's pretty much the same, then He's not your treasure. And you're not awed by Him. You know, I, I don't like what culture is doing with Christmas, do you? I mean, this is, this is getting ridiculous. I mean, we've been watching, not new, we've been watching this for five, six, seven years now, I think. But I mean, it's just really getting ridiculous. I I mean, they finally did catch up and realize that most of the letters in Christmas do spell Christ. And so now we're not going to use that word at all. It's winter solstice and winter break and, and, and winter vacations. I mean, we are just going as far and as fast as we can away. It, I find it annoying that we can celebrate and acknowledge every religion and, and, and the holidays of those religions, but not Christ, not Christmas. I'm bothered by that. I know many of you are bothered by that. And I, and I think we should respond to that in the way that, that our convictions lead us to respond, wherever we are and whatever you do. But having said that, God never once told the town hall or the mall 
to proclaim the gift of Jesus Christ. Never once did he do that. He told you to do that. You. He didn't command your mayor. He didn't command the the mall manager. He commanded you and me to be the light of the world. He commanded you and me to proclaim this gift. It's not their treasure. Jesus is not possessed by a culture. He's not possessed by a shopping center. He's possessed by His children. We possess Him. He's our treasure. They're to see in our lives the worth and the value of Christ. Unless possibly they see a a blank space. A lost treasure. A stolen treasure. I don't think culture rejects Christ because of us. But are we doing our part to make it clear to them who they're rejecting? Do they see this treasure hanging in our life? Or do they see a blank spot? Let's treasure and meditate on Him in our hearts. Let's be awed by Him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're sorry because we do get very used to You. I, 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 I can't imagine that's not true of every single one of us in this room. Lord, I would imagine all of us have, have great moments of, of experiencing You and Your love and Your forgiveness and we feel overwhelmingly in love with You. And Lord, I'd like to think much of our lives is centered on treasuring You. But God, I know we can all get caught up and just going throughout a day. And there's not a Jesus first attitude in our lives all the time. There's not a gratitude attitude in our lives all the time. Lord, we confess that you're not always a point of decision for us. We, we make all kinds of decisions. We go all kinds of places. We do all kinds of things. And you're not in the fork there. You're not in the center of that decision directing the way we go. Lord, when I recognize that in my own life, what a hypocrite that I would judge the town square on not acknowledging my treasure. Maybe, Lord, I need to look and see if the treasure is clearly displayed in my life. Lord, we we want it to be. We love You. God, we're here tonight because we love You. We want to display the treasure. God, as we go throughout this week, parties, go buying gifts, relate with people, go to work. God, would You slow us down along the way and, and, and just kind of force us to periodically throughout the day think, Am I displaying the Christ of Christmas? It's in the name of Jesus that we ask this. Amen.